0: Praise the Lord. Would you open up your Bibles with me today to Matthew chapter 5. God is good. Amen. So go over there and check out that children's facility if you have time. You'll be able to see the vision there. just want to remind everybody the Super Bowl outreach is an outreach. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun, but please bring your friends, man. Bring your friends. If uh, your friends have big families, fellas, tell them to bring all of their kids, and we'll put them back there, let them have fun, and just play around. And and, and during halftime, we're going to bring them a special message so we know that they can come to Christ. uh, Right now on Sundays, we're going through uh, what is called the The Sermon on the Mount, it's in the book of Matthew. We are actually going verse by verse through the entire book of Matthew. All of our messages up to this point are on metropraise.org, so you guys can check that out. And right now in the Sermon on the Mount, we are looking at the Beatitudes. So I want you just to look at uh, this definition here. Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus preached his greatest message on happiness in life and true spirituality. So you see, Jesus was doing miracles. Jesus eventually went to the cross. But what distinguished Jesus at this point, before he went to the cross, from any other teacher, is that when he began to teach, he didn't say, this is what God is saying. He didn't say, this is what other people have said. He says, I am God, and this is what I'm telling you all to do. See, he came down with authority. He came down as the God-man. So when we're looking at the teachings of Jesus, it's not like the teachings of Buddha, a, a good man trying to teach us good things. It's not like Muhammad. This is Jesus who was a pre-existent in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, come down in the flesh, and now what he is teaching you and I is here are the principles to his kingdom. And we know eventually he did die on the cross. We're going to get to that in Matthew, and he ascended to heaven. And right before he left, he says, I'm coming back to establish that kingdom. How am I going to be a part of that kingdom? Can you say amen? Amen. Now, here are the kingdom principles uh, uh, from Jesus, and they're called the Beatitudes. Everybody say the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes come from the Latin word blissful or happy. So right now at the beginning of chapter 5, Jesus is teaching the principles of his kingdom. Just like if you want to become a citizen of America, you learn the Constitution, the presidents, the laws, etc. Jesus is now teaching the principles of his kingdom. And you know what the first principle of his kingdom is? You're going to be happy. You're going to be blessed. Now, this is not blessings that just come from paychecks and worldly blessing. This is going to be a spiritual inner blessing. And I I don't have anything wrong with God blessing us financially and blessing us with houses and land and all of that. But I want you to see right where God starts off. And he says, you know what my kingdom is about? It's about you being blessed and happy and satisfied in your heart. In your soul. Because I want to tell you, you could have all the money in the world but still be upset and and unhappy. You could have all of the things the world offers. The Bible says you could inherit the whole world and yet lose your soul. And what right here Jesus is teaching us in the Beatitudes is, is how to be happy in your soul. And that's what blessed means. It means to be happy. So I want you to look with me to Matthew 5, 1 through 7. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. Somebody say his disciples. Don't you see the distinguishment right there between the crowds and the disciples? You see, you got to ask yourself right now in this church, what am I? Am I a crowd? Do I just kind of get around Jesus? Do I just kind of come and, and just get around church and say, oh, you know, I'm just going to check this out today. I'm going to, you know, put in my time card. Are you a crowd or are you a disciple? You see, because the crowd just kind of sits back. But once Jesus sat down, the disciples had to push through the crowd. And they did say, excuse me, excuse me. Hey, man, I, I can't be sitting in the back. Room. i got to make some room right here. Excuse me, guys. i got to come sit. Sorry, I got, I'm sorry, man. i got, I got to be next to Jesus. You see, a disciple, sorry to be all uncomfortable with you guys, but that's what it was like. You have crowds of people, and you have the disciples say, no, 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 I can't be sitting back. i got to be right here. You see, a crowd talks about Jesus, a disciple follows Jesus. Hello? You see, a crowd wants to wear the cross, a disciple carries the cross. Hello? You see, there's a difference. Makes the decision who you're going to be today. His disciples came to him. If you're a disciple, somebody say amen. And he began to teach them, saying, here they are, here's the principles. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are you when you admit your need for God. Because you receive His whole kingdom. There's the first principle. You want to receive the kingdom of God? You want to see God's kingdom come on this earth while you're alive? You want to see the, uh, the reign of Christ upon this earth and heaven forevermore? Become poor in spirit. Don't act like you have all the answers. Come to Christ broken and, and get on your knees and let tears come down your eyes and, and say, Lord, I've sinned. And that's what the next one said. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Amen? And like I said, you come poor, but you ain't poe no more. Amen? Amen. Because when you come poor in spirit in, into Christ's kingdom, you then become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And then the Bible says you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Amen. But that's how we come poor in spirit and mourning. Look at the next one. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You see, in God's kingdom, it's opposite of the world. You see, if you want to inherit things in this world, what do they teach you to get ahead? Cut somebody off. Be proud. Right. Is that what they say? Blessed are those who work 12 hours a day and, and cut out the other competitor. That, that's how the world teaches us to succeed. But how did Jesus teach us? Blessed are the meek. Now, meek does not mean weak. It does not just mean, you know, if a Christian plays football, you know, and he just gets on the field and he's aligned, and he's like, come on, guys. You can sack the quarterback because I'm so meek. No, 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 no. We learned that being meek was knowing your identity, your position, and your function. If I'm the pastor and I say I'm the pastor, that's not being proud. Amen? It's knowing who you are. It's knowing what God created you to do and doing. It's being the best police officer you can be. It's being the best mother and father, knowing your identity, position, and function. That was a great message. So it's on the Internet if you want it. Number six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You see, it's not blessed are those who hunger and thirst for a promotion. It's not blessed are those who hunger and thirst just to make more money. You see, there's something better than money and possessions. It's righteousness. God is saying, hunger for righteousness and you will be filled. You see, that's the principle, and we learned that last week, that righteousness is found in Christ, that there's nothing good in us. But in Christ is everything we need. And we talked about clothing ourselves in righteousness. That we came to God dirty and, and, and sinners and unclean. But He washed us with His blood. And He puts on us His righteousness. Look at your neighbor and say, you look good in righteousness. Look at your other neighbor and say, you look good in righteousness. You see, because when you become a Christian, when I, when I asked Christ into my life when I was 18 years old, it wasn't like all of a sudden, boop, I got hit on the head. I'm like, oh, I'm righteous. Oh, I'm a good person. Because that's what a lot of people said. You know, they they saw me stop doing drugs, stop smoking and drinking. And they said, Oh, you're a good person. Listen to me. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. I was dead. I couldn't do one thing good. Jesus Christ had to impute righteousness to me. And it was given as a gift. Amen? It wasn't like Joe changed his ways. No, Jesus Christ changed Joe. And that's what he's doing in your life. Amen? Oh, praise God. And this is where we're at this uh, week. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We're going to talk about that today. But let's keep reading the rest of them. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the merciful, uh, the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. Everybody say, blessed. Amen. Now let's go to blessed are the merciful. I want you to see this quickly though. John 10, 10. It says the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Somebody say the abundant life. Jesus Christ wants us to have an abundant life. The principles that we are learning in the Beatitudes, the teachings of blissfulness, the teachings of happiness, are the foundations for an abundant life. If we do not get into Christ's life, And that word life there is zoe. It's not just that life that we breathe. It's not just like everybody's born and has life. No, no, the life that is there, the Greek word is zoe. It's talking about the God kind of life. You see, the Bible says He has come to give you a different kind of life. A different kind of life than just existing, having a family and going to work. He has come to give you a God kind of life that is abundant and overflowing with God's blessings, with His provisions and with God's miracle power. Amen? But to get into that, to have that, it says that you may have life, that you can possess it. you got to follow His principles. Amen? Now we're saved by grace. I'm not saved because I I follow the principles. I'm saved because I ask Him for forgiveness. But the Bible says we're not saved by works, but then once we're saved, we're here to do good works. You all get that? So once you have been born into His kingdom, it's time to now live like a child of God. Because there is a difference between a child of God and a child of the devil. Are you all listening. You see, a child of God acts like their daddy, the father in heaven, and a child of the devil acts like their father, the the devil. You see what I'm saying? Hello? We got to know the difference. Amen? All right, look up on the screen here for me. Merciful. What does it mean to be merciful? That's the one we're going to talk about today. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Here's some definitions of merciful. To help the afflicted and troubled. You see, we're going to learn two definitions today through the Scriptures. The first thing Jesus is telling us, blessed are those who help others. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who give mercy to people who need help. That's the first definition. The second definition is to extend and give God's forgiveness to those who have sinned against us. To give forgiveness. To be merciful to people, whether or not they even deserve it. To give forgiveness. So one part of mercy we're going to learn today is to give help and compassion to the hurting. And another part is to give kindness and forgiveness and be able to look at people, even though they're our enemies, even though they have hurt us in spiteful, used us and talked about us we have to look at them in the eye and say i forgive you can you say amen amen look at this scripture with me or to be forgiven uh, to be shown mercy means to be forgiven to receive kindness to get those same things in return turn with me now to luke chapter 6 verse 32 we're going to tar- start with our first definition which means to extend god's kindness If you want a blessed life, if you want a happy life, you have to learn to help others. He said, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Luke chapter 6, verse 32, if you're there, can you say I'm there? Amen. It says, if you love those who love you, this is Jesus talking in the Gospel of Luke, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Uh-oh. Hello. It's about ready to get tight, but it's right. Are you all listening? It's going to come right where you're sitting right now. Look at your neighbor and say, he's going to talk to you in a minute. <laughs> you see, it's going to come right to you, right here. That's why we came to church, amen? We came to learn. See, Jesus starts off right here. Hey, it ain't nothing to love people who already love you. You see, we all think about Christianity that way. I meet somebody on the streets, and I'm like, you know, you need to live for God. And they say, oh, Sir. You don't need to talk to me. You need to talk to somebody else. I'm a good person. And then I ask them, okay, what's your definition of being good? Do you walk on water, raise the dead, you know, give your life to missions? Oh, no. My definition of good is I take care of my family. You know, that's their definition. Well, you know, the question isn't do you take care of those who love you? The question is do you love your boss when he mistreats you? You see, that's the definition of being good. Hello, somebody. You see, the definition It's not just, oh, I take care of my family. Well, good for you. I'm glad that you're not, you know, a bum because that would be terrible not to take care of your kids. But what Jesus is saying, what credit is it to you to just love those who love you? Even sinners know how to do that. Even drug dealers and pimps know how to do that. You all listening? Oh, come on. Verse 33. And what? And, and, and if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. See, that's why we go out and we feed the poor. That's why we go out and help the homeless. That's why we go out into low-income neighborhoods. You see, because it's one thing to give a gift on Christmas to somebody you love, and they untie the bone like, oh, you shouldn't have. But it's another thing to be in a project, to be in a neighborhood where they take that hot dog like they were owed that hot dog, eat it and walk away and don't even say thank you. See, that tests your heart right there. You see, because the Bible says sinners can celebrate Christmas with each other and do good for each other. But a true Christian is going to do good to those that don't do good to them. There's going to be the difference right there. Keep going. Verse 34. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your who? Oh, come on. Somebody say enemies. Jesus said, but love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting anything back. Well, that will mess you up right there. That will mess you up right there. You see, we want to give to people we know it comes back to us. You know what? I don't live on Belmont and Clark. I definitely don't fit in with most of Belmont and Clark. You all understand where I'm going? I'm as straight as an arrow. Amen? Okay? I'm just being real with you all. Okay? (laughs) You all looking around like, yeah, he's talking about that. Yeah! We go to Belmont and Clark. And they don't call it Boys Town for nothing. But you know what? When we are there, I give to them, and I don't expect nothing in return. We give to transvestites. I'm being honest with you right now. This is, just, this is 21st century, y'all. It's 2008. It's about time the church stops trying to have little cathedrals. It's about time we bring it to the streets. Y'all with me? Amen. And when we step out here on these street corners in the summer and we put out our basketball goals and we ask kids to straighten up their hats because they're in gangs and we let them play ball, we don't expect nothing in return. See, you got to love your enemies. you got to love people that may not even care about you. That's being a Christian. And it says, then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. You see, right there he ties it in he says you're having a problem being kind to people that are mean he says you used to be mean yourself every time you told a lie i could have smote you down with lightning but god says i forgave you i was merciful to you now be merciful to somebody else are y'all listening right here you see some of us could have been in bars clubs by ourselves at home on computers gentlemen and god could have just said just zapped us right there (laughs) done you're gone You sinned, you looked at pornography, you told a lie, but God was merciful. God said, angels, don't judge him. Don't judge him. Give him a chance to hear the gospel. I know he comes to church and acts like a Christian. We all know what he really is, but don't judge him. Be kind to him. Be merciful to him. Don't let that car hit him, angels. Let let him make it through another day, because I know he can change. God, I, I can change him. God had a plan for sinners to be saved. Now you and I are to be kind to those same sinners. Amen? There is nothing more silly or more ridiculous in the kingdom of God when all of a sudden a Christian is now saved and now they want to damn every other sinner to hell. That's why when we get saved, y'all, we got to be careful about how we preach the gospel to others. And I've got to admit, I was guilty of that myself. It was like the moment I first got my ticket to heaven, I was like, you going to hell. I'm going to heaven. You're going to burn. And my friends are looking at me like, dude, you're nuts. You're crazy. I remember one time I went and preached at a juvenile jail. You've got to listen to this. I've been in juvenile jails. My first message in a juvenile jail, this is, this is going to be shocking. I said that you guys are dogs and pigs. This is my honest message. It was sad that the message I preached was you are dogs and pigs. As the Bible says, a dog goes back to his vomit. And like a sinner knows what they shouldn't do, but they go back and do it anyway. I said, you're all dogs. You want to call each other dogs, you're a dog. And you know what? The professor's mouth just dropped. It was my first week in Bible college. And he yanked me out of there. And he said, you're about ready to cause a riot. And then like for the next 30 minutes, he was like, Jesus loves you guys. And I was going home that day from Bible college. And my professor, he was a humble man. He just sat there and he was quiet. He was an older man from Chicago, from the south side, actually. And he just sat there quietly, and I was just preaching to him now. I was telling him how wrong he was and how all, excuse me, all these sinners need to be told they were going to hell. You know, I have only been saved about a whole six months, you know what I'm saying? And I just felt I had it all together, Now I was going to tell everybody where they're going because I forgot this. I didn't know this. And then I was sitting there in my office because now I'm going to meet with the president of the Bible college, so I'm about ready to get in trouble. And they tell the story. And the president of the Bible college, he has a water bottle in his hand. And he just comes up to me and he sets it right down. And he says, fill that water bottle with tears before you preach that message again. And right there, it just struck my heart. You see, I forgot how Jesus felt about sinners. You see, I haven't wept for those young people. I didn't come in there understanding that they were precious before God, that he would have died just for one of them. And that even though they had made mistakes and messed up, that Jesus was into forgiving them and giving them second and third chances. You see, that journey started 12 years ago. And I'm going to tell you something today. I'm still not perfect at it yet. There are days I can see these teenagers coming here, and I want to pull off the spiritual bell and be like, come here. You know, but I want to tell you something. Jesus is kind. Look what it says. Because he is kind to the ungrateful. He is kind to the wicked. The Bible says He's kind to them. The Bible now tells you and me, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Can you say amen? Now I want you to look with me to Luke chapter 10, verse 25. The first definition of mercy is to be kind to people who don't deserve it, being compassionate. What better story than to look at the story of the good Samaritan, a man that didn't have to do anything, but he chose to. Oh, that God would make good Samaritans and Metro praise. Oh, that each one of us today would say, Lord, I want to be good according to your word. We can all be good according to this world, and we can be good like Oprah Winfrey, you know, and just be lavished with each other. But let's be good to the poor, let's be good to the hurting. You know, it's one thing to take off your clothes uh, and, and give it to somebody. And just say, oh, you know, I don't need this anymore, or, or to take something old out of your closet. It's another thing to say, here, buy something brand new. I'm going to do for you what I would do for myself. You see, there's a difference, y'all. And I have nothing wrong with people who give things secondhand. That's okay. We all should do that. I, uh, my personal opinion, I think garage sales are a form of American greed. You know, here we, we have all of our kids' toys, and we're selling them for $2. Here's my advice to you. Give it away. Amen. Learn the principle of giving. I just, I'm just being honest with you. Garage sales just remind me of American greed. We can't, we, we can't fit all this junk in our house, and now we want to sell it for more money. We need to learn the principle of giving. See, that's the prayer. that I I pray that somehow today in this room that your heart gets challenged, that you'll hear the examples of the Bible. See, Jesus, uh, of course, he's an awesome communicator, but one of the things that you're going to learn is Jesus is probably one of the most deepest man you'll ever hear, ever. I mean, his words are so deep. This story I know many of you have heard so many times about the Good Samaritan, but I pray today you meditate on it and you get a knowledge, a revelation you've never had before. Really, I pray that some of you get so wrecked and get so just, just burdened with people today that you have got to change and live a merciful life. And we're not even just talking about in comparison to others. I'm not saying like how merciful can you be compared to so-and-so. No, I'm saying let us all ask Christ, how can we be merciful like Him? Are you all with me? Amen. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Let these words, even though we've heard them many times, come into our hearts deeper than they ever have. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. <clears throat> you can just see this guy. <clears throat> Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Oh, Jesus, I'm so smart, I want to go to heaven. What do I have to do? Look what Jesus says. What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God. This is the most important commands. I can just hear him though, with a religious voice. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the religious answer, Jesus. You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. And now you can see the religious person. Jesus, but who's my neighbor? Turn to the next one. In reply, Jesus said... on oil and wine then he put the man on his own donkey took him to an inn and took care of him the next day he took out two silver coins gave them to the innkeeper look after him and he said when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the the robbers and you could just hear the expert of the law just kind of cower down Uh, the one who had mercy on him Jesus said, go and do likewise. You see, I want you to see the very simple principle right here. Jewish people had oppressed the Samaritan people and basically made them slaves. Samaritans were half Jewish and half uh, another nation. Some of them were pagan nations and the surrounding nations around them. So Jewish people oppressed the Samaritans. And Jesus says to this expert in the law, hey, you want to you know who your neighbor is? Let me, let me tell you who your neighbor is. Here's this story of a man, a Jewish man traveling to the temple. And here he falls into the hands of robbers. And you know what? Who's the first person he uses as an example? Put that scripture back, please. Hello, somebody. The first example he uses is a Levite. You know what a Levite was? That's like a Jesuit priest. He picks out the most religious, pious person in the Jewish religion. These are Levites. These are people who have certain diets. They pray certain many times a day. They've memorized scripture. They are of the priesthood. These are the top dogs of the Jewish faith. And Jesus says, when this Jew saw his other Jew, this Levite, this religious man, he stepped to the other side. You know the first thing Jesus is teaching right here is your religion will not help anybody. Religion can damn people to hell. Just pointing the finger, thinking you're better than everybody else, talking about all oh, them gay people, all them gangbangers, all this crime, all these politicians, all this person, that person. He's saying you can be just like a Levite, just like a religious person, and just pass to the other side. Look at the next example he gives. It's, or uh, The next example it says, Then a priest, or oh, first one was a priest rather, and, and, and he says a priest came down and stepped to the other side. You know what that would be like? That would be like watching a pastor walk right by him. I want to tell you something. One day I was going down the magnificent mile. I was with my mother, and she, you know, was in Indiana, and they don't have like, you know, you know, all these nice places like Neiman Marcus, you know. And so my mom just kind of wanted to window shopping, and we're right there on the magnificent mile, and we're just walking, and I heard this scream. I just heard a scream somebody help me! And it just caught my attention. And I just looked for where that scream was coming from. And I found a homeless man in a wheelchair. And right there in front of Neiman Marcus, he was screaming. He was, this was not like your normal, like, hey, give me money, whatever. This guy was screaming, somebody help me. And I went over and I, I put my hand on him. And I said, brother, I'm here to help you. But there were just so many people walking by. You know, we can get so numb to the fact that people are hurting around us. That even though this guy probably should have a job, even though he's in a wheelchair, he can find something to do. We can get him answering phones, amen, telemarketing. He can work, right? We can all get him something to do. You know, we can all tell him what to do, right? We could tell him to go to church. We could tell him to get his job, get his family right. But you know what? We get so numb to their cries that we walk right by them, and we think that it's somebody else's job. It's going to walk by. That's somebody else's responsibility. That's not for me. You see, the Bible says that Levi crossed to the other side. The priest crossed to the other side. The Bible says a Samaritan came, someone who the Jewish people hated. They called them dogs. They called Samaritan dogs. So here is this Samaritan that Jewish people think are dogs, and here he sees a Jewish person on the ground. He is beaten. He is naked. He has been robbed. And the Samaritan can just be like, you deserve it, man. I'm just gonna walk on by you. I'm gonna just spit on you. Hello, we we can be mean sometimes, can't we? Um, oh, I might have preached. Am I preaching to the right people? Is this the is this the is this the church of the perfect saints and holy perfect people? Oh, okay, so we can be mean, can't we? We could just be so mean. We could say, "Oh, you deserve it." But the Samaritan, you know what he does? He gets down, he picks him up, and you look at what he does. Just look at all this. He takes it as his responsibility he bandages him personally he then pours oil on him and he gives him wine which is like a painkiller then he puts the man on his donkey he doesn't say hey man i'm just going to kind of drag you along while i'm riding on a donkey here hello you ever just done that before a homeless person wants food you just give them that leftover food you ever then say "Hey, i'm going to take you out to eat now with my family this will, this, this, a message like this will mess you up. See, I'm, see, I'm talking about messing up your life so it will be good for God. Amen. Somebody says, "Man, Jesus is turning my world upside down. Yes, he is because he's putting you right side up. Now we've been doing this thing backwards. Amen, somebody said to another person, "Oh, you go to that church and, and you're getting brainwashed. Yes, we are getting brainwashed because this has been filthy for too long. Hello. You see, this will mess you up. You see, there used to be a time in the the Roman culture that when churches came up in the first and second and third centuries, that when churches would come up in certain villages and communities, the Roman pagans would be like, oh, yes, thank the gods the Christians are here because they can finally start taking care of the poor and the widows now. The Roman culture said that they took care of the poor. And Mozambique and that orphanage, the pagans, the, the witch doctors, the people in those nations respect those Christians so much because they take the poor in, they take the widows in. When was the last time you heard your friend talk about church that way? What's the first thing your friend will say about a church the moment church comes up? All they want is money, right? All they want is money. And you know why that is? Is because we got too many. I wish I had a lot of priests and Levites here. So you all got to tell your friends to bring their pastors and their popes and their priests to the website or something. Because I'm going to tell you what. We got too many priests and Levites driving Rolls Royces, building big buildings, acting all religious, while the community around them is being degraded, devastating, and all on its way to hell. Are you all listening? You see, I'll start right here with the priests and the religious people. We need, talking about myself, to get down with the people, reach one hand into the gutter, another one to glory, and bring them to Jesus. Are you all with me? You see, it's time for a revolution to start in the church where we begin to see ourselves for more than just takers. I'm coming to church to take my blessing, get a good time with my family, make sure my four and no more are going to heaven. It's about time that church people get excited for God, go out and reach the hurting, go out and reach the neglected and the afflicted. Are you listening? That's what it takes. And then the next slide, please, shows that the man took out coins and said, I'm going to take care of him. Now, I want to ask you a couple questions right here. Do you love the unlovable? Now, I've got to give you some wisdom to help people. As a pastor, there's wisdom, okay? We don't go out to the homeless and just pour out our money on them because chances are they're going to go get drunk with it, okay? There's ways to help people. There are programs in place that we as Christians can support them like Teen Challenge. So I'm not just saying everybody has to just go out and give them their brand new car and say, I love a homeless person. But what Jesus is asking us to do is, first of all, check our hearts. Because, first of all, the heart's got to get right. Do you love the unlovable? What do you think about these guys? If I went around and I've gone around to communities and, I, and, and I've just asked, what's the number one problem in this community? The number one problem in communities like diversity, like Pulaski where I live in Addison, the number one problem at Ohio Park System, am I talking the truth right here? The number one problem is young people. That is the number one problem. Every parent, every teacher, every person I talk to, every doesn't matter how old they are, how young they are, I always ask them, what do you think is the number one issue that is facing uh, our community right now? They say the young people need help. Well, I want to ask you a question, church. If you and I are Christians, who's the one supposed to help them? You, me. And now I want to ask you another question. Do you love them? We can point at them and we can tell them everything they're doing is wrong. Okay, dude, you're in a gang. You're selling drugs. You need to get your education. You need to get a job. Okay, all of that is well and good. But do you show kindness to them? Do you give them mercy? I am not saying excusing what they do. The Bible is very strict on the law. You break the law, you pay the penalty, period. I'm not saying we excuse that. Matter of fact, I believe in the death penalty because I believe what the law says is to be true. But listen to me. The law, the Bible says, only brings death. So yes, we can imprison them. Yes, we can arrest them. Yes, we can uh, herd them off of our property. But the question is, what will change them? Because our criminal system will not change them. Our judicial system will not change them. Somebody say amen if I'm preaching all right today. The only thing that can change a gangbanger, a troubled teen, a person that will take an AK-47 and bring it into a mall in Omaha, the only thing that will change our young people is Jesus. And we need to give them a whole lot of Jesus. Amen? And the thing that they need to know about Jesus is that Jesus, Loves them. He loves them despite their sin. He loves them despite their wickedness, despite their ungratefulness. He loves them enough to die for them and forgive them. Can you love them too and spread the message? They need to hear from us Jesus loves you. That's what they need to hear. They need to hear that God is kind to sinners. Because it's one thing to be good to the kid that goes to college, and we have those guys in our youth groups they get scholarships, academic, and also through sports. It's one thing to say to those young people, come to my house, you can hang out. But I also say to the gangbangers, you spend the night at my house. Amen? Now, I may tuck my wallet under my bed that night, make sure the shotgun is nice and loaded, but I'm still kind to them. Can we all be kind? Amen? I'm going to ask you another question. Do you love the unaccepted? Do you love the people today that are unaccepted? I believe that homosexuality is a sin. It is as much of a sin as lying is a sin. It is as much of a sin as stealing is a sin. Homosexuality is a sin. Okay? But I'm not going to march around their gay bars and tell them they're all going to hell. I know churches that do that. Are you listening? I've been down to ten Mardi Gras. I can't make it this year. Some people from our church are going. And when you go down there, brother, you're going to see people with signs that say these words, God hates faggots. You will see signs that says, all homosexuals go to hell. And it's a scripture, and, and it does say that those people will go to hell. But that is not the message. The message isn't God damns everybody to hell. The message is God loves Steve and Bill. That's the message. Now, Steve and Bill have got it messed up. And they have it messed up probably from their childhood. And they're probably convinced that they were born that way. And you know what? You and I can argue with them till we are blue in the face on whether or not they were born that way genetically or whether it was a choice, etc. But here's the bottom line. What Bill and Steve need to know is we love them. Jesus has mercy for them. There is room at this cross, at this altar, in this church for them. They can come just as they are. They can walk in here, calling themselves a couple. Hello, cause I let adulterous couples come in here. Oh, y'all, see, going to get quiet on me now. See, I let boyfriend and girlfriends come in here. Oh, this is this is my boyfriend Gary. Okay, and you find out later on Gary and and, and my, my Amanda, whatever, they living together. You want me to put them out the to church too? Hello. I let liars come to the church. You know, some of you have told lies and come to the church. Hello, we're not perfect. I've, I've let people who are on pornography come to the church. How would you like for me to put out every man in here looked at pornography this week? Would you like to leave right now? You see, if we start judging each other and start saying, this is perfection, and if you don't live perfect, you're going to hell, and I'm going to help you get there. Get out! If we start living that way, we are the exact opposite of who Christ was. We've got to love them. So you know how we love them? We love them here at Metro Praise by giving them hot chocolates. And I am serious when I say transvestite. I'm talking wigs on and makeup. And you know you're talking to a guy. But they call themselves Mary. And you're just like, okay, Mary, how are you doing today? My wife talked about four of them the whole evening. And she said they were going to come to church. My question is, church, if they come, are you going to accept them? Not their behavior, but are you going to accept them as God's creation, ones that he loves? Are you all listening? I need you all to say amen. You see, they think that we have to accept their behavior. No, I don't accept their behavior being right. Just like I don't accept the person who looked at pornography's behavior being right. I don't accept it, but I accept them as a person. I love them as a person. Why? Because that scripture we just read, our Father is kind and merciful to them. Oh, hallelujah. Put up the next one, please. How about people that are rejected? We talked about homeless people. I remember when I first became a pastor, God said this to me, Will you bring in the homeless? And I said, Lord, I'll, I'll try. out a one-bedroom apartment living in the hood of New Orleans. God said, will you bring in the homeless? I said, yes, Lord. But I don't really know that many. I met one that night. <laughs> and I'm just witnessing to my friend. And we're, we're out here in the inner city witnessing. And here comes up this stum- stumbling guy. He's drunk. And he's asking for money. And I just felt the Lord. <laughs> and I just wish I didn't know how to hear from the Lord at times like these. Because I was just newly in that neighborhood, man, and I was scared out of my mind. That's all I can tell you, okay? And, And this man comes up all drunk, and he's like, man, can I get some money and this and that? And I said, no, but you can come stay at my house. And it was just like those words were the hardest words I've ever said in my entire life. And then, of course, what did he say? Sure, I'll come. Yeah, I'll come to your house. I go, oh, Jesus, help me. And I remember we're going into the apartment, and then when I just started fixing him food, and I took the, I'm not lying, I took the knife, the biggest knife that I had, kept it with me, laid down in my bed, put it right under my, my, my mattress. Y'all saw some spiritual people, y'all probably wouldn't have done that. But I had to do that. And I'm sleeping with one eye open. And, and I only had a one-bedroom, so there he is, this total drunk guy, stranger. I've never met this guy in my life, sleeping on my floor. And with that one eye open, God said to me, if I came down from heaven and came to this earth, you can come to this man and invite him into your house and trust me. I said, yes, Lord. I closed my eyes. And over the next four years, I brought in 30 homeless people into my house. You see, because what God had to do for this pastor, I can't speak for all other pastors, but what God had to do was say, hey, Joe, before you love the Rickies and the Rachels who are beautiful, who are nurses, who have jobs, who will come to church on their own and and they'll give generously in tithes and offerings, before you love them, I want you to love them because they'll do nothing for you. These right here don't pay you back. You see, so many pastors, so many people, they look at congregations. What can I get out of this congregation? How much money can I just juice this congregation for? And God said to me as a priest, as a Levite, as one in the Good Samaritan story, God was saying to me, Joe, I want you to love the unlovable. Because anybody can get behind, you know, a plexiglass pulpit on Sunday and dress up all nice and greet the wonderful congregations with their beautiful families. But who will bring the homeless into their house? God will say to me, I want you to be different. And I want this church to be different. Now, maybe not all of you literally can bring that person into your house. But I want you to be the one that stops and talks to them, gets their name, shakes their hands, and says, my pastor has a program for you. Here's the card. Let's get you off the streets. Come on, somebody. There's an answer for the rejected of our society. I don't know how many millions there are in America, but they're homeless and on drugs. We, the church, are here to help them. The next one is, do you love those who are different than you? Here you see the lifestyles of cultures in in Chicago. And it's so easy to look at these people that are different, that just are different. And I know racism still exists. In, in, in Chicago, even among African-Americans and white people, I couldn't even believe the, the things that I saw when I was in New Orleans in the South. I, you know, I'm, I'm a, a, a white boy, by the way, Caucasian, <laughs> a gringo, from Indiana. Okay? I grew up in Indiana like, like corn, and, and you go to school, and, and it's just like not, not the perfectest place in the world. But, you know, if, if somebody was chewing gum, that was like the worst thing, right? Okay? And I go down to the South. And the African American community are telling me. They're telling me stories of when they got served out of the side of restaurants. When they sat in the back of buses, people, people just just old enough to be my parents or grandparents. And I began to realize that racism exists still in America. Now I know that you're probably like Pastor Duh, but I had to learn that. I want to let you guys know as a church, it still exists and we need to break it down. If we see the Indian family coming. They may have all these gods to Ganesh and Krishna and all of these funny ways and funny funny smells and things that we don't quite understand. And we may, we may think that they're terrorists. Put up the next one. And this woman right here, we may, we, we may become so, so righteous. Like, oh, we're Christian and they're Muslim and they're terrorists. Yeah, that, that could be even true. But are we going to be kind to them? Are we going to love them? Oh, see, it gets quiet when I talk like this. See, I'm not saying we don't support our soldiers, and I'm not saying like our soldier walks into the place with his gun, sets it down, says, "Hey guys, can we just talk this out?" I'm not. I'm, there's a time for that, but I'm saying when this when this woman walks down the street, how will you treat her? When she comes to your job, and many of you work in corporations where now you are with Muslims and they pray five times a day, and they maybe have a place set up in your corporation where they're going to have to go to their prayer room, are you just going to hold up your nose and say, they're praying to an idol. They pray to demons. They're, they're, they're heathens. Is that the way you're going to look at them? Or are you going to say, hey, I'll pray with you, but I just pray to Jesus why don't we try that right now I mean come on your pastor has been to all types of places mosques and synagogues and every Krishna temples you know the people with the little ponytails in the back at airports I don't know if you met them they're kind of a small little cult your pastor we all went down to Jehovah Witnesses remember we showed up over there they were quite surprised to see us they always come knocking on our door but we thought we would knock on their door Amen. and they got a little nervous they pretended like they didn't want to talk to us I'm like come on now we're here for you and we're here for them We're here for Muslims. Amen? Would you stand up to uh, your feet with me, please? That is the first part of the message. I thought I could get two parts today, but I don't think so. Everyone open up their Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians 13. I would rather have it be caught today than to be taught today. I want you to catch it. Blessed are the merciful. Nancy, would you do me a favor and give me two more glasses of water, please, up here? First Corinthians chapter thirteen. If you're there, can you say I'm there? Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and he's teaching them the definition of love. Everybody says, you know, that love is the greatest thing. You know, the Beatles sang about it, and whoever else sings about it today, you know, but do we know what love is? Here's what Paul says love is. First of all, let's just start off right here in verse 13, uh, verse 1. He says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Rachel, would you come, please? Look up at me, please. We're just going to take our time right here. See, I want you to catch this. The Bible says if you come here and you just speak in tongues, (laughs) and we're screaming and shouting with, with, the, with the worship band, and we're like, Jesus! But today you cut off somebody in traffic, flicked them off, and you go to work Monday and you don't care about them. The Bible says all you did here was just religion because you don't have love. If you can walk by that homeless person, and I know that sometimes we have obligations. Please don't let this be... A guilty thing. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just trying to bring up conviction. And you just pass by him and it's nothing to you. That's, that's not love. Speaking in tongues doesn't mean you love. Just coming to church doesn't mean you love. It's stopping. Going to Blockbuster. My, my uh, place I like to go all the time on Milwaukee has a homeless guy named David. I've been going to that Blockbuster for two and a half years. And you know what a lot of people give David? It's just a handout. Every time I talk to him, I say, Brother, I don't want to give you a handout. I want to give you a hand up. Call on Jesus. I'll stand there with him. My wife and I have been there. She's been there with me. Talked to him for 15 minutes. See, I know his name. See, you, you guys know what I'm talking about. That homeless person that's always by your job, that's on that corner. See, I, got to, I had a chance to get to know his name. His name is David. And I got to hear a little bit of his story. You see, I could come up here and I could say, I love Jesus. Shout, hallelujah, preach, sing, dance, and walk right by him. Jesus would say, Hey, you don't love. Do you think you're loving somebody? You just love those who do good for you. Your church comes, they're so pretty, they're so beautiful, all y'all look nice. Joe, you're just loving the ones that love you. They, they, They buy you birthday presents. They take care of your wife. These are the people who love you. The Lord would say to me, love David. Do you know how many times my conversations have ended with David with him cursing me out? Seriously, like one out of two times they end. Like almost every other time the man just curses me out. Because somewhere in the conversation... I start telling him, hey, brother, God's got a plan. And he's like, oh, man, I know that, man. I know that. I'm like, no, but you got to get in the plan. You got to change, man. God will change you. You got to let him change you, though. And then he'll start getting offended and start cursing me out. And then I just walk away from him. I'm like, all right, David. All right, man. I love you, brother. Love you, man. I walk into Blockbuster, kind of step to the side of the street, this time to avoid being beat up. Get in my car, give him a little toot because now I'm safe in the car. A little toot toot. What's up, dude? Love you. And then you know what? Come back the next day. It's like, dude, like he totally forgot what he just cursed me out. I'm like, hey, David, what's going on? He's like, oh, nothing much. And the whole thing starts over. I'm, am I telling the truth? For two years, I've been ta- I just talked to him like two days ago. Who are you reaching out to? Who's your David? Who's that person in your life that don't even really like you? Could even be your enemy. But yet. Every day or every time you see him, you're reaching out your hand. Hey, brother, I love you, man. Young people at school, who's that person you're reaching out to? You know, I always tell you guys, you see, this is how it always starts off with teenagers. And I love it. It's, it's very cool how, how it works. You all get saved and you want to go to your lunch table and get everybody else saved. And I feel that that is where you got to go. But guess what? I've seen a lot of teenagers, once, once their table, you know, makes their decision, some want to serve God, some don't. You know what? Then they'll stay at that table the whole rest of the lunch year, whole rest of the year at that lunch table, and then they'll come and tell me, Oh, none of my friends want to get saved. None of my friends wanna get saved, Pastor. You know what I say to you guys? Why don't you now look for that other lunch table where your friends used to make fun of? Those guys that don't wear nice clothes like you. Those ones that sit by themselves and they're in every lunchroom. Why don't you now bring your lunch over there and start preaching to them? And you see, we gotta do the same thing, adults. Let's keep going. It says in verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy, and I can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Man, he says you could come up here and prophesy and say, thus says the Lord, Armageddon is coming, judgment is coming. You could be a prophet. You could stand up here right now and say, I have faith. $10,000 is coming. This mountain is moving. Here it comes. Somebody writes a check for $10,000. Everybody applauds you. You can have faith. You can have prophecy. But the Bible says if you don't have love, you are nothing. He doesn't just say, oh, you're, you're kind of a Christian. No, he says you're nothing of a Christian. Oh, God, help us. Oh, Lord, I need to talk to me, Jesus. I am nothing. Verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor. See, this is for pastors right here. Some of us, you know, I've worked in missions and these type of ministries. The Bible says, if I give all of it to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. The Bible says that you and I can be giving to the Salvation Army. They're ringing their little bell. We can throw off our money. We can go to goodwill and give our clothes. And the Bible says if you truly do not have love, you gain nothing from doing all of that. You can give everything away and still gain nothing. He is looking at our hearts. Yeah, I could look so spiritual, just walking right up to David and going, Oh David, here's here's my leftover lunch. You know, here here's this, here's that. But you know what God was asking me about David? Is are you David's pastor? Will you pray for David just like you pray for Ricky? Will you love David? Oh, help us, Lord. Now look at the definition of love. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. We need, in this church and in Chicago, a baptism of love from God. I remember when our church went out to Ohio Park in Cicero for the first time, and we stepped in there. I remember just watching two types of people. The first type of person was the one that was all intimidated. They were, they were nervous. They, they just didn't feel like they could make a difference. And then I watched the other people just go for broke, man. Put it in fifth gear. And just started running up to people, shaking their hands. Man, we love you. We love you. Thank you for coming out and visiting with us today. Here we've got some free hamburgers your youth can play basketball your children can get their face painted and i began to see that mezzo praise can be split right down this line and here's the line do you love or do you not love period are you here to learn how to love people or do you just want people to love you there it is. And that day I realized as a pastor, it is my job, it is the job of this church to find as many people and to train as many people who want to love and become an army of love that reaches out. Listen to me, we've had enough marches, we've had enough pickets, we've had enough, you know, uh, boycotts. We need to now love. We need to now preach. We need to lay down our lives. It is about time that people see a difference in the Christian community. Please put up the last slide. I leave you with this story today. In the 16th century, these Protestants had broke away from the Catholic Church, and they became on fire for God, and they started to become missionaries. And they became a great movement. They were called the Mavarians. The Mavarians actually led John Wesley to the Lord, who ended up becoming the founder of the Methodist movement. But this is how the Moverians started. Here's how this great missionary movement started. There was these two young men. They were married and they already had kids, but they were only in their early 20s. There were two young men. And they wanted to go somewhere and they were praying, Lord, where do we go spread your word? Do we go to Africa? Do we go to Latin America? Do we go to Asia? Where do we go to preach your gospel? And one day they saw a slave trading ship in their community, with African Americans being sold as as animals, as slaves. And they said, where do you take these slaves? And they said, we take them to one of the islands, like Bahamas or something. They said, we take them to one of these islands, and then we ship them all over the world. And they said, where are... These people going, they said, are going to this island. How many other boats go to that island? They said, the slave trade that we're a part of, all of our boats go to this one island. They said, how many slaves go through there? They said, about 20,000 at any given time, slaves are right there. Immediately, God said to them, go to that island. That's where you go. And so they talked to the slave trader. They said, I want to go to that island. Me and my friend want to go to that island and preach to those slaves and give them Jesus. The guy spit in their face. This this, just cruel slave owner. He was just a, a jerk. He just spit in their face. And he says, I hate God. I would never let you travel on my boat. Most people would have just stopped right there and be like, okay, well, I tried. But you know what? They went back and prayed, and this is what God said to them. Sell yourselves as slaves and go as slaves to the island. They had wives. They had children. But you know what they had? They had salvation. And the other ones didn't. They were willing to give up their families and their lives to now preach to those who had nothing, did not know the Lord. And they went to that slave owner and they said, Hey, we want to go with you to that that island. And the guy said, Hey, I told you, I hate Christians. I'm not letting you go. You're not coming. They said, We'll be your slave then. And right there... He bought them and took away their freedom. And as these two young men were kissing their families goodbye, knowing that they were never going to see them again, they looked at their families and they said, Do not cry for us. We are going to get the reward that our Savior deserves from His death on the cross. We are going to get His reward. Our Savior deserves the souls of these people. They are precious to Him. And we are not ashamed to preach the gospel. Do not cry for us. And those two men started the Mulverian missionary movement that became one of the greatest missionary movement of the known, of the known time to go out and lay down their lives for people. They motivate people like Tisa and Jean. They know of their story. That's why they went to Mozambique. Now here's the, here's the illustration. I just need one more cup, please. Some of you can't see this, but I'm just going to talk it through as well. One day we're going to get to heaven. And this scripture, this principle that you just heard today is going to be something you're going to be judged by. Thank you. I need one empty, please. You are going to be judged by this principle. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now the question is going to be how much mercy will you receive? I want you to think of it like this. I have a few cups up here, and I have water in these cups. We're going to pretend this is your life of mercy. This cup represents your life of mercy to this world because the Bible says, Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. So the principle is, you have to give mercy to receive it. So now, this is going to be a judgment. You're going to face Christ, and this is what he's going to say. In your life, this is how much mercy you gave people. And for those of you who can't see, I I just filled it about halfway. This is the mercy you gave people. Now, he's going to say... For you to enter into heaven, for me to forgive your sins, for the mercy to be applied to you, you need now this cup to overflow. And on Judgment Day, the Bible says he's going to take your cup of mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Flip the slides for me a little bit. I want them to see the scripture. Go to the next one. Go to the next one right here. Just keep going. I'm going to tell you when to stop right there. Matthew 6:14. for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive yours. Hello, somebody. Now you're going to stand before God and you're going to say, Lord, these are all of the sins that you said my, that I, I committed, that your blood could forgive, that your blood could wash away. And Jesus is going to say, OK, here is your forgiveness. Here is all that you get, all that you gave to others. Here it is. And you're going to be sitting up there with a half cup of mercy because that's all you gave. You understand? You understand? I'm going to teach the rest of this next week. I'm telling you something, people. This is a kingdom principle. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It is time that you and I just start pouring out mercy to the point where it goes overboard. And it fills up and starts overflowing so that when it's time for us to receive mercy, that it just overflows and goes everywhere. And God says, that's how much I gave you. That's how much I gave you. You are forgiven. You went out into this world and you poured out love. You poured out mercy till it overflowed, till it just touched everybody around you, till people knew there was a difference. Your sins, though they are many, are forgiven. That's the principle. The principle is if you give mercy, mercy comes to you. Can we pray, Father God, before we walk out of these doors today, we ask you, Lord, for your mercy. And, Lord, help us to be merciful.